Hola y bienvenidos a la tercera temporada de Second Chance Cinema. Me llamo Rudy, the official review reader and friend of MC and Spro. Today, the guys will be talking about the film The One, which received 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, but Sean Axemaker, that's a cool name, of the Seattle Post Intelligencer, is that a word? Intelligencer? Wrote, Jet Li is hero and villain in action film The One. With more than a passing nod to the Terminator, from the tech-noir look of black and blue industrial color schemes to heroes and villains popping in from the sci-fi standby of alternate realities, the one tries to reproduce the film's mix of juggernaut action and genre movie twist. While it's nowhere near as cleverly conceived, director James Wong and producer-slash-writing partner Glenn Morgan managed to create a fun, inventive, mischievously tongue-in-cheek showcase for their slickly engineered set pieces. The one is pure pulp junk, and Wong embraces it as such, rushing through the mundane details of establishing characters and defining motivation to leap into action and use cheeking humor to keep the tone light. Lee is less an actor than a pleasant personality, hardly convincing as a doting husband and barely more credible as a wisecracking thug, but as a gymnastic whirlwind, he is the best special effect in the film. His acrobatic martial arts ballets are far more impressive than the digital engineering that supports him, so it's a shame that the CGI tinkering that pits Lee versus Lee in epic bouts turns his unmatchable physical abilities into stiff approximations. The One seems at times like a bizarre parody of action films boiled down to 80 minutes of high-tech spectacles. It's more thrill ride than movie, and Wong plays it that way. No sentiment, no complications, no pesky story to get in the way of the arsenal of flashy special effects. And now, to tell you why you should appreciate this film, complete with spoilers, so you've been warned, MC and Spro. Before the MCU, before Marvel, before Doctor Strange, before Spider-Man, before Doc Ock, the Green Goblin, uh, Wanda Maximoff, the multiverse was a concept that wasn't so much at the forefront of American pop culture, except in one movie. The movie that we're here to talk about today on the season three inaugural episode, which would be season three, episode the one of Second Chance Cinema. I am one of your hosts, MC. With me always is my good friend, my dear friend, Spro. Spro, how are you? I'm very good. As I'm like listening to you talk, I'm like, well, this is like riding a bicycle. Like, I feel like just we're just jumping into the driver's seat right now. Well, let's let's set the scene for listeners right now. It's about 730 in the morning. What is it? The 28th of December. So it's we're both sort of in kind of vacation mode, even though we're growing as adults and learning that that's not really a thing anymore. Um, but, you know, we haven't recorded in a long time. And uh, well, I should not a long time. I mean, the Ben Affleck episodes, which I'm learning didn't change a ton of people's minds, but that's okay. We're recorded really? probably a, a month or so ago, but we did what we do, which is to say we went to Applebee's, enjoyed some delicious sampler appetizers and decided that we should record while we've got some time. 
<clears throat> we're here to discuss a movie that I was going to say is very near and dear to my heart, but that's not true. It's really not. It's just, I think, an ambitious movie that was possibly a victim of its own grand vision. And that movie is Jet Li's 2001 sci-fi martial arts action adventure film, The One. Now, I've seen this movie probably like, I don't know, 20 or 30 times over the course of my life. Spro, had you seen it before we nominated it for discussion? Oh, absolutely. I owned this movie. And it's funny because you asked me if it was streaming anywhere. And one, it is not unless you own Stars, which is like the one subscription streaming service I have not bit the bullet on. And I was like, no, 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 I own it on DVD. I do not own it on DVD. I'm quite sure I own this on VHS back in the day. And this is one that didn't I didn't convert, I guess, over. So I didn't wow. know I had to rent it from Amazon Prime. I had no idea that the one was even available on VHS. I guess we live in the multiverse where VHS was still a thing when it came time for home video release. Yeah, 2001. So, I mean, because we, of course, roomed together uh-huh. at OU. I, we didn't have DVDs then, right? Our bookshelf was VHSs. Was it? Or am I confused on that? No, there were there were DVDs. I don't remember if it was one of those like where we were like late adopters of the of the technology, which had certainly happens. I had a flip phone until like five years ago. You don't rock DVDs anymore, do you? I own some, but no, I found that with the exception of like the obscure cartoon from the 80s or early 90s or the weird anime movie or more recently the completely like terrible karate movie from 1983. I can usually find everything I want to streaming or buy it on one of the digital services. So I still have most, I think most of my DVDs, like the ones that are special to me. Like, for example, I just bought the Street Fighter Blu-ray edition, which came with this sweet new case and a actual bison dollar inside. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I still respect DVDs. And I, I was not surprised when you told me that you owned it. I was, of course, like, oh, yeah, of course he does. To hear that it exists on VHS, I'm having trouble like even picturing the the physical VHS copy of this movie, which I don't know. I, again, maybe we live in that multiverse. I was excited for you because people might be like, well, didn't this make money? And it, yeah, like the budget was $49 million, The box office made was like, 2.7. Yeah. So almost double. No, I guess not. Like 50% I mean, of its money back. All things or considered. 50% though, over. Like, you've said this more times than me. That's kind of like a financial flop, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, nowadays, if you're not doing like Blair Witch numbers, nobody's impressed, you know? Like if you didn't make a film for $60,000 and make $200 million, people are like, well, yeah, they did well for themselves, I guess, you know? But it's not... We're not talking paranormal activity or Blair Witch numbers. I thought you were um, going to say like if you're not if you're not doing MCU billion dollars in three days, then nobody cares. Well, that's a. I mean, the confusing thing about the MCU money is it's all tied up into Disney, and so you have no idea necessarily how much money they're spending on it, how much money they're spending on marketing. You know, Disney is its own confusing 
entity, which is why it was so impressive when Scarlett Johansson's like, well, I'm going to take you to court. And it's like, Jesus, talk about David and Goliath. But- and so speaking of Disney, we figured this was a good movie to jump off on because, you know, the hot topic about town after the release of Spider-Man No Way Home and um, all of the upcoming MCU projects is, of course, the multiverse. So mm-hmm. the multi, I'm not even going to say spoiler alert at this point, but the multiverse essentially is a theory in which there are well multiple universes which is how they got the term multiverse i believe multiple universes in which the same characters exist but in different forms and it wasn't until we started talking about it i realized that this movie was really kind of ahead of its time with that concept and i i'm not positive that there was never another multiverse movie before this but this is the one that i remember like just slamming home and hitting you over the head with the concept of multiverse, multiverse, multiverse. There are 124 Jet Lees that exist <laughs> in space and time. I don't know how they got the number of 124, but multiverse has always been... Do you want me to nerd out real quick? Do what? Oh, nerd out. So I just did a whole lot of research for the first script that I wrote for UCLA about super string theory do you know anything about super string uh i know very little i know i know of string theory and i know that i know very little of string theory (laughs) well string theory is different than super string theory string theory then no i don't okay so string theory is the the belief that everything so when before the big bang happened right we were all just one very concentrated mass of energy and then the big bang and it explodes out and the universe explodes out and they think that everything everything can, in existence is connected by this little tiny you can't see it nobody's been able to prove it string in each of our cells in our atoms that is the same throughout so that like we're connected with everything the trees and houses and and brick and people everybody has the same little string in it because we all came from the same concentrated mass in the center of the universe right i like that you decided to include brick in that in that rundown (laughs) i'm just looking out my window um (laughs) the Uh, animals houses cups we're all connected (laughs) i'm just thinking of stuff that's like around right now lamp (laughs) (laughs) super string theory is the theory that posits um, that there are 11 dimensions. And so we see three, right? First dimension is just lines. Um, second dimension is 2D, right? So X, Y axis points. Third dimension is 3D, what we see on every, on every day. Fourth dimension is time. So what we are living in. And then you start getting into like the fifth and sixth dimension, which are worlds in the multiverse, uh, that all started with the same Big Bang explosion. So it's all different times and places. The seventh, eighth, and ninth dimension are worlds that didn't start with the Big Bang, like that we have no, absolutely no idea what's going on in. And then the 10th and 11th dimensions, like they say, if you can make it, if you can somehow put your consciousness to the 10th and 11th dimensions, you are theoretically God-like. And this is all legit science, (laughs) you know, that the super strength theory, of course, is being researched at the top universities around the world. But they say if you could get into the fifth and sixth dimension consciously, you can go to different places in time in realities of the world. So kind of like the multiverse that 
Disney right now. And the one explored back in 2001 is based off of the fifth and sixth dimensions of the world. And so, man, how do you even, how do you even like, I don't, I don't even know what the word, I mean, not for nothing. I believe all of this. I believe aliens. I believe Sasquatches. I believe multiverses because in my mind, you can't prove that they don't exist. You know, like you can't prove right. you, you can't, as long as there's a spot of, I don't know, in this case, land or space or whatever, that someone's not looking at at any given time. You cannot prove that something does not exist in that space. That's my sort of belief in terms of all the weird cosmic and, you know, cryptozoological things like of that nature. But how do you study that? Like, how do you, <laughs> how do you study that beyond anything like that's just talking? I mean, how do you, how do you say like, like I, that, that's the part that blows my mind is that there are people who like study this as a science and create like, you know, equations and theories and things like that, that I, I don't know, like how you would even prove that. And I guess that's well, why I'm not one of them. <laughs> right. Like I, I understand the string theory, like the the hadron, hadron, hadron collider. Oh, the hadron, um, the yeah, the, the yeah, god like particle. Is that what you're right. talking about? The god particle. Yeah, the god yeah, okay. particle is the the string. Um, yeah. and they're just trying to like smash things together to try and find that string. Like that, that might be a very exciting day sometime in the future. I the only thing that I could wrap my head around about the super string theory and everything like that is I wonder. <laughs> This is, we're getting way off base, but like, I do wonder, you know how you sometimes, like, I was an idiot. I was just talking to my niece I was, because she's about to turn 16 and I was like, I, I feel like in my bones that the dumbest you ever are in life is between the ages of 16 and 20. Like you're invincible. You don't feel yeah. like anything's going to happen. Like I was drag racing down Hilliard Boulevard when I was, you know, 17 years old and going 80 miles <laughs> really? in the suburbs. Oh yeah. In your, right after in your drama club. So don't think your, I'm super cool. <laughs> <laughs> in your Ford Escort? Yeah, like probably <laughs> pumping out like Chicago, like the movie soundtrack of Chicago, but still drag racing like a badass. Um, I don't know if I'd so add like, like a badass in there, but <laughs> drag racing, fact, okay. So I think, but like then I'm like, oh, those near-death experiences that like, oh my gosh, you almost died or whatnot. What if you did die and your consciousness just jumped into a new universe, a new reality, a new version of you? And so you don't realize that you died in the past one is kind of where i'm like man maybe when we die we just jump into the next the a working consciousness the next multiverse or in this case the more uh, the gradually more powerful jet lee consciousness yes so let's let's do what we do on this show which is to say let's play the trailer for this movie the one starring jet lee Carla Gugino, a younger Jason Statham. I don't think Jason Statham's ever actually been young, but by temporal standards, he was younger in this movie. Um, I think he's he always kind of older looked, in this movie. <laughs> did it? Yeah. You know, he had more hair, but he did somehow look older, I think. Um, yeah, the hair doesn't work for him. And and of course, our one of our favorites, Mr. Delroy Lindo, who I've said is like a, when it comes to movies, he's like a warm cup of tea. You, you see him on the screen and you just feel comfortable comforted like this movie is going to be okay he again turned in a a perfectly lindo performance in this film so what we're going to do is uh we're going to play the trailer and while we play the trailer we're going to engage with the most long-standing tradition on this show other than us the wheel of poetry in which we spin the wheel 
and we land on one of five different forms of poetry slash written expression. And while the trailer is playing, it is our job to come up with a tribute of sorts to this movie before we get into the deep discussion that follows one of those guidelines. And the five choices we have, as always, are haiku, limerick, ABAB poem, uh, song parody, and toast slash roast. I wonder if there will ever be a sixth category added to the Wheel of Poetry. We might have to discuss that for the rest of season three because, you know, could use a fresh coat of paint, I suppose. I think we did say acrostic was maybe. Oh, acro- yeah, acrostic. That's where each each letter starts a new. Um, yeah, so it would be like T-H-E. Right, 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 right yeah. O-N-E. Okay, that's, that's a good one. In fact, you know what? You want to just do that to kick things off? Uh, sure. Does acrostic <laughs> not, have to rhyme? Let me look it up. Were you not expecting that? I thought I just heard you go, oh, fine. Oh, no. I was stumbling along because I was trying to find the trailer, and apparently there's a Netflix show now called The One. That is yes, there is. Yes, so typically the first letter of each line, word, or paragraph spells out a word or phrase with special significance to the text. Cool. So it doesn't you have to rhyme. Do, so it doesn't have to rhyme, no. But okay. yeah, let's try an acrostic for um, Jet Li's The One while we play the trailer here. Sounds good. The people have found you guilty of 123 counts of first-degree murder and 123 counts of unauthorized travel to parallel universes. There's never been anything like what I have become. For these crimes, you have been sentenced to life without the possibility of return. Are you ready? Are you? Freeze! There's only one place he could be going. Not a problem. What if there was a killer traveling through parallel universes and he looked just like you? The good news is you're not crazy. The bad news. Before I saw him, I felt him. It was me. What if he would stop at nothing to take over your world? Each time he kills one of you, the energy divides among the survivors. He's close to you, Lost Strength. Maybe it's part of what's been going on with you. People get older, Gabe. They don't get stronger. They don't get faster all of a sudden. If we kill him, this whole universe could go with him. I just need to do it one more time. This is the only way to stop him. My own design. Yeah, that'll work too. You want to go first? Tell us what word you used or words that you used and then read us the acrostic. Okay. So just go down the list. I got 
The, he, every, only, now, eliminated. Oh, so you use the one. The, what is it? The, read it again. The, he, every, only, now, eliminated. Interesting. So, what, did you make up a word and then do that? I no, I use I use the words. The, so, my my vertical words, I use Jet Li. Oh, oh so nice. Mine, yeah, that totally opens it up, too. Oh, yeah. I don't think, do, I, I don't think we, that was a, that was a, using the one i think that was a i think that was a condition we did not previously agree upon so <laughs> i went off script i like it so jet lee um, so i'll Jump. emphasize my work oh did you want to go first <laughs> oh i thought we were going are we not going right now didn't you just go <laughs> no oh i made sentences so did i right what's happening here are we in the multiverse right now? What's going on? So my whole thing is the man is one of 124. He jumps through wormholes, killing every version of him. Only a team of Lindo, Statham, and Lee now can kill him. But here's the rub. Eliminating one of them makes the other a god. See, that's now that's an acrostic. That's an acrostic. I thought you were going for minimalism the first time, and now I see I misunderstood. So mine reads similar, only I used instead of the one, I used Jet Li. So it says, mm. jumping across space, every universe, terminating his variance, lawless, I'm nobody's bitch, which of <laughs> course refers to one of the greatest lines in cinematic history. I am Eula! I'm nobody's bitch. You are mine. At the end of the at the end of the one, the, the final line is evil Jet Li in some sort of penal colony dimension, fighting people, uh, fighting fighting other inmates on top of a doomsday ziggurat structure, and he says, "I'm you, Law. I'm nobody's bitch. You are mine." And man, and then cut to Papa Roach from. <laughs> <laughs> from the early aughts. So, <laughs> so we meet our heroes. Uh, well, I should say we meet our villain first as he, so he's figured out that, like we said, there are 124 universes in the multiverse and he's figured out that by killing each of his variants, he can sort of like inherit their power or their energy and make himself stronger. And as we open the movie, he's set to be, well, I guess sent to the penal colony through their like wormhole catching device where they send prisoners and they can send agents across space and time. And the thing that I thought was kind of interesting in this movie universe and movie multiverse, they're not able to uh, like predict or generate wormholes or rather I should say they're not able to generate wormholes kind of like Dr. Strange. Like they can't just, you know, move their fingers and a wormhole pops <laughs> up. It's more like a forecasting thing where they're like, if we go to these coordinates, a wormhole should open up in like 20 minutes. Yeah. Is that right? And not a fun wormhole. Like, a oh, yeah, they were terrible. I'm going to tear you apart. <laughs> tear not, you like apart a, wormhole. not like an Andrew um, Garfield prances through some sparklers wormhole. Like, a, yeah. I'm going to suck not, you up in like a hellish vacuum and completely take you back down to your molecules and then reconstruct you on the other side wormhole. Yeah, definitely not a fun experience. Um, yeah. But I thought that was kind of a cool, like, it just made things a little more. I mean, I don't remember if it actually affected the plot. Like, I think it did 
at the end where like they either missed the wormhole or the wormhole came too early or something like that. And then they all ended up back in the prison room. The big enticing grab for me with this movie was the concept of Jet Li versus Jet Li. Because Mm. up until then, and this is 2001, I don't recall a movie in which twins or uh, not even twins in this case but like where that gimmick was done to such a cool looking degree like there were of course movies like how many movies has van damme played twins in like 50 it's more than three i think it's i legitimately think it's more than three there's double impact maximum risk replicant and i feel like there's another one that was more recent but you know the twin fighting the twin gimmick is not something that the one pioneered but watching the trailers and seeing the previews and stuff for it you were just like holy shit this is going to be like legitimately something i haven't seen before yeah but well them hitting each other you know usually right like when i think of you know them exploring the same actor on the same screen multiple times like i think of multiplicity with michael keaton Um, but it was mainly like hey mike look over here because this character is talking and time it out and everything like this was legitimate like you saw them both on the screen at the same time both of their faces and their fists were like actually impacting each other i guess like back to the future and a lot of sitcoms would do that where it was like you know like uncle jesse played his evil cousin and they were on the screen at the same time but it was like a split screen thing but you're absolutely right you can always like tell like it was a stunt double with like a same style wig or something. Right. And you're just staring at that back of the head. Right. And there was no, um, no movement. There was no like kinetic element to choreographing a fight scene or, you know, doing stuff that, that required like the precision, I think that this movie had. And it's weird because I don't exactly know the timeline of Jet Li's filmography, but I remember that lethal weapon four was kind of a big deal because he was in it and he was pretty awesome in it. And then there was that whole string of movies he did with rappers where it was either like him and DMX or him and Ja Rule. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Well, I'm pretty sure Jeremy wants to do Romeo Must Die. That was one of them. That was one of them. <laughs> and I I have to be honest, that's going to take a second watch for me to, <laughs> to, to just sort of find stuff to talk about. I just remember. So when Jet Li like first burst on the scene, they were talking about how he was so fast in his movements that they had to tell him to slow down because the camera's right. going to pick them up. I remember, I remember that being like, uh, it was almost like an urban legend kind of thing, right? Like, like I don't, I don't know that that was ever specifically, you know, like it wasn't ever like verified or anything like that. But it was like, wow, this guy's so fast that they have to slow down, or they have to that the, no camera in the world can capture him. It was kind of like his version of Jackie Chan's doing all of his own stunts kind of thing. See, I always thought it was us trying to find our the next generation Bruce Lee. You know, like we're always looking for like the next martial arts master i mean there that'll always be a thing and it'll never happen but it'll always be a thing i mean it's happened i i, I don't disagree i mean jet lee tony ja steven uh, seagal yeah steven seagal <laughs> kind of uh, yeah, n- no words for Steven Seagal, but um, eco aways from like the raid movies and and um, yeah, there's there's always somebody who's going to be quote the next somebody somebody. But this movie, as I'm looking at his filmography, there were some movies where so Lethal Weapon was in 1998, and then he did yeah, then he did Romeo Must Must Die, then he did the one, and then after that it was Cradle to the Grave, then he did Unleashed, Fearless, War. These were all movies that were kind of like, 
I don't know, trying to cash in on like, I feel like him either teaming up with somebody or him versus somebody like Cradle to the Grave. If you look at the poster, it's him and DMX. So it's like not his movie. It's him and DMX's movie. War was the movie he did where it's him versus Jason Statham. And so it's like the one is if you look at the poster, it's actually pretty sweet. It's just him being sort of like disintegrated, but he's like the main focus and he was like the main focus of this movie. And I think that might be the first time that that happened. And for me, I thought, you know, he's certainly no Daniel Day-Lewis, but this was a completely fun, super entertaining movie. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny now, like when you look back, because of course the CGI is a little dated, but I remember watching the trailer and seeing him pick up two motorcycles cop right motorcycles at the same time and smashing them against somebody being like see holy shit (laughs) i don't think see and the see i read i read some of the reviews you know just to prepare and i don't think like honestly i don't think the cgi is that dated like for for what it is let's think about what we're cgiing here so you mentioned the motorcycles which was that's probably one of my favorite scenes but also Mm -hmm. there's shots where it's like he'll kick a guy in the air it'll slow-mo and then he'll kick the guy down from being in the air. And then there's, of course, other scenes where like he there's the one where he like kicks the telephone pole over. There's ones where he'll like kick somebody so hard that they go into a car and they create a big dent. And I think that like and, and I wonder if maybe this is why the film didn't do so well. But like the beauty of Jet Li's like fight scenes and choreography, you know, ability to do that stuff on screen, like you like we said before, is kind of like the speed and the gracefulness and stuff like that whereas this was all just pure like strength and brutality and I wonder if there was a disconnect because Jet Li's not like a big dude he's not like The Rock where you know The Rock picks up a Gatling gun that used to be on a drone and it looks perfectly normal so Jet Li picking up like Jet Li the actor you know picking up two motorcycles and smashing them together like symbols maybe was a little bit of a leap but I thought it was awesome clearly you thought it was awesome and in the confines of this movie, I think it makes perfect sense. So the opening sequence is surprising and jarring. And I think when I watched it again to rewatch last night, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, you put Matrix on one end and Equilibrium on the other. And the fight sequences in this is like right there in the center of like taking the best of both worlds. And so when he picks up the cop as all the bullet time, you see all the bullets coming and he just uses the cop's body to like block all the bullets from him. And then he throws him aside. And then that's like when you said, like he kicks him up in slow-mo and then Uh he kicks him away in fast motion. Like, you're like, oh, damn, like this is completely different. So that's the thing too. Like that's the thing. Like Matrix had Matrix came out in 99. So Matrix was two years before. So obviously this movie owes a lot to the cinematography and the choreography of the Matrix, but it did new things. Like I don't know Mm -hmm. that the scene you were just talking about and the mechanism you were just talking about from like the slow-mo to the fast-mo back to the slow-mo. I remember seeing that and being like, whoa, this is I've never seen this before. This has me intrigued already. So I think that's kind of a very, very like, eh, you know, understated contribution of this movie. It's just sort of that like wackiness, but also wacky in a way that's like super bitching, you know. And I think we should point, I mean, this came out, this was released November, like, oh, November 2nd, 2001. So three weeks after September 11th. Like you also have to wonder when the critics buried this, like where their mindset was at. 
I didn't even think of that. Right? Like, the violence and everything. Like, it's the same thing with Fight Club. Fight Club right now is hailed as a great movie. It was a flop in the movie theaters because it came out right after uh, Columbine. And people were like, let's not do gratuitous violence anymore. And now it's like, oh, no, this is very stylized violence. Just like the one is very stylized violence. Stylized is a good word. Stylized is actually a great word. And that's that's one of the things that, like, because I, you know, I grew up with martial arts. And so I grew up loving Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee and stuff. And I think that like, I remember when Rumble in the Bronx came out and that was Jackie (laughs) Chan, obviously. And that was not a great movie, but it is an awesome movie for the reasons that Jackie Chan makes, you know, awesome movies, or at least for the way that he introduced himself to American audiences through just these ridiculously stylized, beautiful fight scenes, choreography, the stunts, the imagination and all that sort of stuff. This is sort of the same, the same kind of vibe. It's, it's very stylized. It's, it's got like its own, its own rules, really. I mean, beyond the, the multiverse and the canon of the movie, it's got its own rules for how fight scenes can look for what objects can be picked up and thrown. It's almost like a video game. Like it's almost like one of those like beat up final fight double dragons where you can, you know, walk down and beat up the bad guys while picking up a mailbox or motorcycle and throwing it. And I think that like, you know, for 2001, so what were we, sophomores? I think for as silly as some of it might seem, like this shit was pretty fun. Right. And a lot of critics railed against it because of the video game style nature. And the other thing where it's kind of like looking back in hindsight and everything like that, I don't think even I realized how much video games were going to increase, I guess, in popularity. Like, I think in 2001, 90s and 2000, like the early aughts and everything, you kind of thought that as we aged into adulthood, we would start putting the video games down and start working for the man. And that's not the case anymore. Like, people are our age, you know, up into the 50s, men, women, non-binary, everybody is sitting down and playing video games casually. So it's not like we gave it up. So now looking back, you kind of go like, even if it does have a video game edge to it, it's still really entertaining because more of the mass population is into video games nowadays. So this was either right after or right before Fast and the Furious came out, the first one. And a lot of the visuals in that movie, like for the street racing scenes, were again, very Mm -hmm. reminiscent of like video games, you know? So it's kind of this aesthetic that in the 2000s and and late 90s, like it's kind of this aesthetic that really, you know, targeted that audience, our audience. And in doing so, it, it decided to rely on these kind of like over the top, you know, either fight scenes or racing scenes or action sequences. And looking back, like, again, it's not Godfather Part 2, but this is a fun as shit movie when you just kind of <laughs> sit back and enjoy it. Absolutely. So I have a question. Is the beginning scene the one where the mouse comes out of her shoe? Yes. So that's how she... And the funny thing about that is like the mouse has that antenna like sticking out of its butt. Well, the mouse also had giant balls, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're not going to neuter a mouse to turn it into a bomb. I'm just saying, I've never seen a mouse, even not a mouse with a time bomb in its asshole with balls that big. So... (laughs) <laughs> like so to set the scene so each each multiversal persona <laughs> of a person for some reason in this movie has a similar name so Yula Y U L A W is the villain and he started out as a multiverse agent who ended up 
killing one of his counterparts in another dimension. And when he did that, he realized that he got stronger. So that kind of corrupted him. And he realized that by killing more and more of him, quote, himself, he could receive their power and their energy and become ultimately a god when he finished killing all of them. <laughs> so our boy, Roger Ebert, right, gave this a very bad review. And one, one of the five stars. Yeah. So what he was confused about is pretty much what you just described really easily and plainly. He was like, there's a vast question lurking at the center of the one. And the question is, why? Assuming there are 124 universes and that you existed in all of them and could travel between them, why would you want to kill off the other 123 versions of you? This is, I submit, a good question, but not one discussed in any length by Eula, the villain of the film. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, that's legitimately like the first thing they explain, isn't it? Yeah, that he wants to be a god and he found out based off of like what you just said, killing one gave him power. Killing 123 will make him the ultimate powerful. So, so they, I just wanted to point out that the critics that railed against this movie were not in the proper headspace to intake this movie. Well, I'm sorry you couldn't understand this movie, Roger Ebert. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry it was uh, a little too much of a think piece for you. Um, but they, I mean, they pretty much like hit you over the head with that explanation. It's Jason Statham. I think he's like, or might've been Delroy Lindo, but for the sake of the voice, I'm going to do Jason Statham. He's like, he found himself in another universe and killed himself. And then he became powerful. And then he realized that he had to get more power and blah, blah, blah. And the multiverse <laughs> is shaped like an S. So <laughs> why is your Jason Statham like Columbo? <laughs> he said, I thought more like he sounded like more like Ebenezer Scrooge kind of, but I don't yeah, know. You see? Yeah, James yeah, I guess a little Peter Falk, a little Ebenezer Scrooge, some Gary Sinise in there for good measure. But yeah, they explain that pretty clearly. And to the point where my, let's see, 2001, my 20 year old brain was like, this makes perfect sense. I, I, I am on board with this theory. Like, honestly, it's a very, very pretty airtight theory in the confines of science fiction. That brings us back to the, to the beginning scene where this like sultry version of Carla Gugino comes into the, it's essentially like viewing an execution, I assume. Like they're going to send him to the penal colony planet in the Hades universe, which very clever. And she comes in kind of all vamped up and she's got these giant heels, but they're not heels. They're like platform shoes. And as he's about to be sent through time and space to the penal colony, she pushes a button on the shoe, a trap door opens, and this mouse with an antenna coming out of its ass <laughs> comes out of her shoe and giant balls just dragging across the floor comes out of her shoe goes up near the the rig that's going to send him into the penal colony and explodes and it was a diversion kind of i suppose like a little booby trap to allow him to escape mm -hmm. so that's probably the one thing that confused me was like why is carla Cugino, carla gugino dressed like some gangs of new york lady and letting a mouse go into the the prison room then you get into the more nuanced aspects of the multiverse and you find out that there are indeed 124 carla guginos who mm -hmm. exist and apparently she was the evil one i guess who was trying to help you law escape and she did. And I don't think they revisit that Carla Gugino, right? They definitely don't show the backstory of how she got the bomb in the mouse. <laughs> so no. that, you know, a few nitpicks here and there, but... For the most part, what happens is he, Eula, like goes over and messes with the computer and then sends himself to the universe where the last 
variant of himself exists, and that's the good Jet. So now we have Gabe, who's the good Jet Li, um, and Eula, who's the bad Jet Li, and now they're both in Gabe's universe, where Carla Gugino is his wife. She's a doctor, I think, or something, and that's when Jason Statham and Delroy Lindo sort of intercept and realize that they're both in the same universe and that they have to stop Eula before he can kill Gabe and become, quote, the one, which I assume is where they got the title for the movie. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I was able to summarize that plot, maybe a little bit long winded, but I could understand it. I don't know why Roger Ebert couldn't understand it. The setup, the first scene and everything like that takes a pretty long while. And so it's interesting that you don't meet really the protagonist until probably 15 minutes into the movie, maybe 20, because the protagonist, like everybody kind of sits down and goes, well, I'm seeing Jet Li for the full, he's the lead star, right? But you don't, the protagonist is Gabe, who shows up like 15, and Gabe is my favorite part of the movie. Like Jet Li, innocent, is, was making me chuckle, like when he's in the MRI machine and he's like, what's going on out there? (laughs) (laughs) so the so so two things i think people confuse protagonist with main character because i would argue Mm -hmm. that you law is the main character of this movie or at least i mean i guess if you can have co-main characters i think that you laws is co-leads but you're right yeah yeah i mean and they just happen to both be jet lee but um the other thing was you mentioned the mri thing that whole fight sequence where they turn on the mri machine and like the guns get sucked in and the magnets and all that like that to me was i I remember that fondly because it was just such a simple yet really cool like oh man that's that's a that's a really like just outside the box kind of fight scene gimmick what you like magnets and fight scenes because i'm going back to michael bay's six underground you're like (laughs) the best part of this movie it's the boat Uh, well the best part of that movie i mean that was not my favorite michael bay movie but again i appreciate the i appreciate the ingenuity with the um the magnets and the knives and the that whole thing um, that whole gimmick again, it was just kind of a, and it was a very small thing. It had nothing to do with the plot. Didn't ultimately affect the movie. I don't think, but it was one of those things where it was like, just, yeah, just sort of like a unique twist on a fight scene. Well, it and, does. Uh, I mean, it, they lose their guns at that point. And so, so yeah, so I guess it does have a, trying to find a gun. I guess it does have an effect on the movie, but still it was more just like, oh yeah, I forgot MRIs are giant magnets and that's why you can't wear metal. And oh, look, all their guns got sucked in. And now, you know, here we are fighting for the fate of the multiverse um, i really like that doctor <laughs> when they like hugged each other and because he was going to get an mri and she's like jesus christ it's an mri it's not a it's oh not a he had like the, the 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 yeah like the unimpressed doctor <laughs> she has no idea what's going on she has no idea that she lives she probably d- that's the other thing too like i was wondering do normal people in this because jet lee didn't know so like do right. normal people know that multiverses exist they do now if they listen to Second Chain Cinema. Well, they do. But like did that doctor lady, like maybe in her multiverse, she was like a really nice, you know, radiology tech or something. Maybe in, in her like 67th variant or something like that. The other thing the critics went against was they're like, it's the film loses its, they lost interest in the film starting with like the Gabe storyline. And I think this is when it got really interesting. One, because the question is posed, right? There's only two left. And Gabe is also feeling all the power. So if Eula defeats Gabe, Eula gets all the power. If Gabe defeats Eula, Gabe gets all the power. So regardless, they can't both live, right? Like if one dies, the other one's going to have to die. That's why Jason Statham like puts his gun to Eula or to Gabe's back. 
Like, there's this question of like, how is this all going to resolve itself if well, one I of think them is going to become a god? So the goal, I think, is to send Eula to the penal colony planet so that he doesn't die, but that he's not a threat anymore, at least in like the habitable multiverse locations. But you right. make a good point. The one thing that I do feel like if the critics were going to harp on anything, it's the fact that Eula, who's somehow inherited the power of, well, I guess it would be half of 123 other or 122 other variants that he's killed can lift motorcycles and throw ambulances and stuff like that. Whereas Gabe, <laughs> there's, there's just like a throwaway line where I think it's like Jason Statham, like he says, like, have you noticed that you've been getting stronger? Have you noticed that, that you're able to lift things and do things that you weren't before? And he's just like, yeah, I have noticed that. And it's kind of like, that seems like a bit of an extreme leap from being able to like, just be this normal cop. And then like being able to lift the motorcycle and not maybe going to see the doctor about it. Like, Hey doc. <laughs> well, he does you know, like I, jump I, did, over did the you give me a Like, did you give me a B12 shot or something? Cause I feel pretty good. I was able to <laughs> lift, lift the motorcycle to get here. Um, yeah. So the, the fact that, I guess the disparity between the realization of the powers, that was a little bit of a jump for me because I feel like if, if, especially if he's a cop, because he's probably doing cop things on a daily basis. And I have to find it hard to believe that while this whole saga of Eula tearing down the multiverse is going on, Gabe doesn't accidentally like punch a hole through some guy's chest while he's like trying to, <laughs> trying to subdue a suspect. That'd be funny. Well, not funny, but that would be, uh, I mean, it would be a good record. Scra- it would be a good record scratch moment. Mm-hmm. I bet you're wondering how I got here. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the sequel storyline is obviously TK, right? Because she's, She's aware. TK is Carla Gugino's character name. Correct. And so she, like the first TK that you meet, the evil mouse heel TK, is uh, she's aware of what he's doing. And then so when he goes into the next verse and does something to Gabe's TK, well, spoiler, it's been 20 years. When he kills Gabe's TK, then evil TK probably felt the power and went, ooh, one more down. You know, like. That's interesting because that's another thing too. Like if you, the rules aren't clearly, at least I don't remember, like, do you have to kill the person to get their power? Or if a person just dies, do you get their power? No, if the person died, well, I don't know. Because one of the critical reviews was if you outlive all your other iterations, are there 80 year old powerhouses in retirement homes? See, now that's a movie I would watch. I would watch the shit out of that. <laughs> like that's 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 where my mind went like so if i just happen to outlive all uh, assuming that like they're all the same age and they're all the same like they're the same like general you know physical and biological composition like assuming you just outlive everybody are you just like the shit now <laughs> like i would watch the hell out of an 80 year old um <laughs> sequel to the to the one starring don uh donald glover uh, for some reason, I thought you were going to say Don Amici, and I <laughs> only because I don't know. I was thinking of Cocoon and like the retirement home, but like like a Michael Bay spin on it kind of thing. But back to the iterations of the multiverse, people. One of my favorite parts of this movie, and it's so silly and stupid, is when they're showing like all the victims that he's killed, and it's basically just Jet Li in different wigs. <laughs> like, do you remember that? Yeah. The one with long hair was Seth Law. (laughs) Right. So they all have different iterate. They all have different variations of the name Law. So like one is like you said, Seth Law and one is like John Law or whatever. Do you remember that Key and Peele sketch where they do the the football names? Jack Marius Tactheratrix. 
Michigan State University. The Isaiah T. Billings Clyde, Coastal Carolina University. The Jasper Probenkruck III, South Carolina State University. Leoz Maxwell Gilliams, East Carolina University. Jamaris Jamar Jamaris and Lamar, University of Middle Tennessee. The Voine Shower Handle, University of Southern Mississippi. Hingle McCringleberry, Penn State University. It was basically that. <laughs> it was just <laughs> pictures of Jet Li in different wigs with different names that have law in them. And I thought like, on one hand, I thought like, boy, that's just silly as fuck. But on the other hand, like it got the point across, like it got the point across that these multiverses are different yet connected. And it also got the point across and it sort of emphasized the fact that like there's one energy that unites these different beings. So I don't know, but I, I have to watch that again because I remember them just being really silly. 117, Yu Fook Law, Monoceros Universe. Victim 118, Sven Law, Tucana Universe. Victim 119, Ni Day Law, Canopus Universe. Victim 120, Kya Ji Law, Serpens Universe. Victim 121, Seth Law, Procyon Universe. Victim 122, Froon Law, Shaolin Universe. Victim 123, Lawless, Anubis Universe. There was like the surfer Jet Li, like you were just saying. Yeah. Um, I would love to see many like post-credit scenes with all of those different Well, that's how you know that this is like a, a fifth and sixth dimension multi-universe because they're all obviously from Big Bang Theory worlds where if it was seventh, eighth, and ninth dimension, then, you know, there'd be like a green blob with a hundred eyes and they'd be like, this is good law, you know, and, and then so he'd have to like defeat aliens. And I like to think, I like to imagine what order he killed them in because then like which variations became powerful in which order? Like did Seth Law, the blonde surfer Jet Li become like, maybe he was like the third to last being killed and he was just like shredding it out there on the waves. Just like, Oh, like this is the best day in my life. And then, you know, cause he's super powerful. He can tame the waves. And then you shows up and kills him and he's like, bummer dude. I don't know. Well, you kind of like wonder like the prequel too. Like when he killed the first one, was it like an accidental shooting? See, and then and Delroy Lenio comes over too. and he's like, how are you feeling? He's like, well, you know what? I actually the- feel pretty good. <laughs> right. <laughs> because that was, and that's, again, that's kind of like my big fault with the movies. They just gloss over the fact that Gabe has become super powerful. But when you because they said it was like a chance encounter or it was like he ended up killing, like he didn't set out to kill. He ended up killing his, his counterpart in one of the different multiverses. Then he realized he was getting more powerful. Like that would be a great story. Like, because I'm assuming he started out good and then he gradually became corrupted. It's kind of like the green goblin or it's kind of like, you know, the, the black suit Spider-Man. Like, it's like, it's like you could have this whole prequel story where Eula is like a good dude. And then he realizes that he gets this power. You know, Harry, nobody's proved that what I'm doing is a bad thing. You've killed 123 people. I'd say that was a very bad thing, you law. Plus, you don't know what would happen if you killed this one. His death could destroy the whole system, but I guess that doesn't matter. I know. Everything must be balanced. Blah, 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 the party law. What do you think would happen? Some people think you'd explode. Some people think you'd implode. You're missing one. Some people think you become a god. That's the one. 
So let's talk about Delroy Lindo here and and Jason Statham. They are multiverse agents, which means that they basically, I mean, it's what you think it is. They traverse the space-time continuum trying to find and bring to justice like multiverse criminals. They're like Jason, time cops. They're like multiverse cops. Yeah, they basically are time cops. So Delroy Lindo is like the grizzled veteran, more or less. And Jason Statham, whose name is Funch in the movie, which to this point, like, I, I, I just sometimes I just feel like you couldn't have done better than calling him Funch. Call him Johnson. <laughs> Call him Jones. No, his name's Funch. His um, first name is Evan. <laughs> Evan Funch. Evan Funch was just like, like, I remember hearing that and just being like, ah, that's such a terrible name. But so he he and Delroy Lindo are um, on the case of this EULA and this whole set of shenanigans where they have to try and stop him before he can kill Gabe and then become a gob because they talk about it as if it's never happened before. And them and sort of like the rest of the multiverse cops aren't sure of what's going to happen. So there's a sweet part where the version of Delroy Lindo, the multiverse agent, he gets killed. And that made me wonder, like, does the gas station attendant Delroy Lindo get more powerful, like so that he can, I don't know, pump gas faster. But again, it was another one of those, like, like there are more um, moving parts to this whole multiverse theory than, than you ha- really have time to kind of delve into. And that's why I mentioned it. The move at the beginning that I think this movie was super ambitious. And I think that like without the three and a half hour runtime of like a Marvel movie, I don't know because this movie was less than an hour and a half. This movie was 87 minutes. And I don't know that now if you were to try and tell this type of a story in that truncated of a timetable, it would even be possible. Well, that's I mean, the one thing I'm noticing about movies now, they're all running like two and a half hours. Oh, like, my God. They are like, I think back to going to movies like my mom would take us to the movies or like renting a movie and you're like like a movie was an hour and a half long that was it yeah right like when we were right. growing up a, a movie was an hour and a half long and now it's like oh we're gonna watch you know I, I don't know the revenant it's four hours and five minutes and 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 it's just like when did that happen i guess I with Titanic, like, you've got to give up your whole evening and now like really the trailers do. and commercials are 30 minutes so you're like this is gonna be three hours of my life and the fact yeah. that people are enjoying these things so much <laughs> and, I don't know. and I, you know i don't I, I guess it's not a bad thing i mean like i enjoyed every minute of no way home and end game and all that sort of stuff but it's just like it makes me wonder like and like i said it was probably it's probably started somehow with titanic but it made it made me wonder like when did movies get to the point where like two hours at least is the minimum now well i think it, i mean because gone with the wind was like all the epics like lawrence of arabia and stuff like that like they were right. equating it to like if it's a great movie it's a long movie and it's right like, that's the thing it doesn't mean make every movie long and hopefully they're great <laughs> so the end of the movie is the is the money fight scene between Jet Li and Jet Li. And not only was it a fight scene between Jet Li and Jet Li, it was a fight fight scene that took place in this like weird like iron smelting factory or something. Very reminiscent of uh, Terminator 2, I thought, because there were 
sparks flying everywhere. There were actually there were the sparks, the same sparks kind of um, aesthetically that like Doctor Strange uses to make his portals. But there were sparks everywhere. There were chains. There were just all these different like moving parts that made the fight scene to me much more impressive. When you think about that movie was 20 years ago. And again, we talked about how the CGI, you know, may not have aged super well, but it is still completely serviceable and completely entertaining to watch. And this fight scene, again, was just like nothing I can recall had been done up until that time that was even close. Yeah. Well, and it, there's some beautiful slow motion as the sparks are flying down oh, and was circling awesome. each other. It made me think of like at the time, I mean, wrestling, obviously, like it made me think of like, like, cause there's a shot where it's just a wall of sparks and he just walks right through it. And you're just like, holy shit, this is like, that's an entrance for a movie character. That's a sweet entrance shot. This badass Jet Li just walks through a wall of sparks and they have this awesome fight scene. Well, um, that's a, like from the trailer, that's what like they showed glimpses of it and you went to the movie for that fight scene. Right. And they delivered. Critics were like, oh, this predictable fight scene. Nope. Give it the times. That's why we're here. No, that was that was the definition of a preview trying to entice you with certain aspects of the movie, specifically this final fight scene between Jet Li and Jet Li that was teased to perfection in the trailer and made you want to go see it. What did uh, some of the other critics have to say about it? Well, first, the one thing that I mean, the critics, they were all over the board and I can't for whatever reason. So this is Lauren King of the Chicago Tribune. She gave a favorable review, one of the only that you could find. But the problem is the link to it is like hijacked by some kind of hacker. So but, time out. So you're telling me that a hacker took the time to hijack a review of The One starring Jet Li? So if you try to read Lauren King, Chicago Tribune from like Wikipedia page or Rotten Tomatoes, I get into a privacy error screen that says your connection is not private. Attackers might be trying to steal your information from the website of alexiswx.trb.tv for example passwords messages or credit cards do you want to learn more (laughs) i don't think it's worth the risk at this point no and that always reminds me of starship troopers do you want to learn more would you like to know more (laughs) (laughs) but her so what you can find is like just a sentence right so it's she wrote, the movie delivered the high-octane sequences starring martial arts expert Jet Li with precision and well-crafted pace. I also want to, because I liked when we kind of point out how stupid critics are or unoriginal or like if you're going to be a, there's a weird thing that critics try to do, which is try to be clever while uh-huh. they're bashing the unoriginality of something else. So this gotta one be, guy. Gotta be snarky. Gotta be snarky. Yeah. So Robert Kohler of Variety wrote, the comp of cheesy effects and martial arts choreographer Corey Yoon's unimaginative staging results in something that's martial artless. I see what he did there. I see. I do see what he did there. I like that how he put wrote, cheesy in wrote, his critique and then made it cheesy. <laughs> that, that, yeah. You know, I, I won't begrudge someone a good pun, but you know, that's just not true because again, and this goes back to the Michael Bay episode slash 
controversy that we stirred up. Like art is beauty in different ways to different people. Like Christmas lights are beautiful. So are some birds. They're both beautiful, but they're not nearly the same thing. They don't look the same. They don't sound the same. They don't exist in the same space. But like to say that this movie is artless, even without the stupid pun, that's wrong. That's inaccurate. Well, here's the other thing. Do you think Robert Kohler of Variety realized that they had choreographed different martial arts for different characters based off of their personality and then different fighting styles you mean yeah no not at all i mean and that's something that like <clears throat> like that type of subtlety i don't think most people probably noticed that i know i didn't when i you know saw it the first time but like that i think very much is indicative of the video game you know influence on movies because you have i mean all kinds of different games like street fighter and tekken and not so much mortal Kombat, but every character has a background a fighting style a nationality like a history probably an influence and you're right they all fight differently and it's subtle in this movie but you're absolutely right like it's the opposite of artless i mean dare i say it's it's artistic i mean that final fight <laughs> scene and the secondary and tertiary fight scenes where with the thing with the motorcycles and that is absolutely 100% not gone with the wind not Lincoln not it's not art in that like you know stuffy sense of the word but I would be very very hard pressed to find a genuine movie lover or even just a genuine like person who can appreciate things that are awesome <laughs> who who wouldn't agree <laughs> that to some people that's art like I'm not saying like I recognized as somebody that like doesn't know a whole lot about martial arts but I did realize when Jet Li is in prison you know being handcuffed and, and ankle cuffed and he's practicing his martial arts like I was like oh he's got a really aggressive what is it called when you're not sparring or whatnot but you're it's called different things kata forms yeah he's yeah. just like training but yeah he's right. very like aggressive he's got like the one knuckle out technique and all that like as opposed to that that's Yula. that's the evil Jet Li right mm -hmm. so I didn't realize like I understood that I was watching him be aggressive and be have a you know more aggressive kata what I learned from Wikipedia was which you know uh, took this from the documentary Jet Li is the one on the special feature section of the DVD explains that Gabriel Yula and Gabe Law use martial arts that represent their personalities. Yula uses it's the shape will fist, which is characterized by aggressive linear movements, and while Gabe uses the eight trigram palms, which uses subtle circular movements. So that I mean that makes perfect sense. Like even in like the simple moments of the movie where like Yula will just punch somebody and keep walking, or like even like kill somebody and just keep walking. He's very like aggressive, very like doesn't give a shit. Whereas Gabe is you know the sympathetic character. He's got the like subtlety he's got the circular movements he's got like the the flowing movements the hands and the feet and all that kind of stuff i'm also reading right above here originally the film was to have starred dwayne the rock johnson <laughs> before lee assumed the role did you know that i did not i mean not until i read that no that would have been a different movie it's funny i guess to think about like how long the rock's been around i guess that's oh, like yeah. an action star that would have been like right after the Scorpion King, I think. That would have been an interesting movie. And I'm also reading the soundtrack, which this is a good way to wrap up because the soundtrack of this movie, man, <clears throat> uh, Bodies by Drowning Pool. 
let the bodies hit the floor. Down with the sickness and um, last resort by Papa Roach. So Papa Roach, I don't even know what you'd call them, like a new hard rock, alt rock, new metal, NU metal. That's what I was thinking it's of. Like hard emo. Yeah, kind of. I mean, <laughs> so they were, so the, the last scene of the movie and they send Law to the Hades prison planet where, as I said, he's on top of this, he, he lands on top of this like dark, gloomy, like Mesopotamian temple. And all of these other inmates, quote, are surrounding him. One of them, who I swear to God is just an angry old lady, just looking yes. like an old lady, right? <laughs> yeah. Did you notice that? Oh, it wasn't? I, I don't know. To this day, to this day, I cannot see the reason for having an angry old lady on the prison planet. But she seemed to have a deep voice. She, did she talk? I don't remember if she talked. Yeah. Okay. So so anyway, so he he he's on top of this temple. They're they're all about to attack him, and he immediately establishes don- dominance. He immediately just pisses all over them to establish dominance, not literally, but by saying what might be one of my favorite lines in film history. I am Eula. I'm nobody's bitch. You are mine. I am Eula. I'm nobody's bitch. You are mine. Cut to Papa Roach. <laughs> Suffocation. No breathing. And it's just like a minute. No, like 30 seconds pullback shot of him fighting these guys one by one, knocking them off the temple um, while more of them just rush up the stairs and then just cut to black credits. Like Which, that- if you don't want him to die, probably the wrong place to send him. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, like, that's a good point. Unless there are different rules that govern the Hades planet, like where if you die there, it doesn't count or something. But um, yeah, it seems like they threw him kind of into a kind of into a hornet's nest there. (laughs) Like they didn't exactly put him into solitary. They sort of just threw him into a gang fight. And um, yeah, that kind of completely flips the script on their whole motive for (laughs) <laughs> not wanting him to, to kill or be killed. But yeah, I'm you law. I'm nobody's bitch. You are mine. That is that is good writing. And that scene, <laughs> I mean, obviously we're, we're tongue in cheeking it here, but that scene, the pullback shot of like the environment of the Hades prison planet, the lightning, the storms, and then just like the mass of people like coming up and you're just, you're thinking like, fuck, he's going to fight every one of these people and he's probably yeah. going to win. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, he's going to rule the Hades planet. And 20-year-old me would not end credits on, on, on Last Resort by Papa Roach. Like, man, I was ready to get out of that theater and go do some drinking. Like, yeah, that was, that was, it, it was, it's a fun movie and it's a silly movie, but it is not without its genuine merit, I don't think. So this is our second lowest rated film on Rotten really? Tomatoes that we did. Yep. This only got 13%. What was the lowest one again? Street Fighter. Oh. I actually thought this, like, I was like, 13%. There's no way that Street Fighter is lower, but Street Fighter is 12%. Oh, that's that's mice nuts. That's marginal. Very marginal. So, well, we did it, pal. First episode. Episode the one of season three. Mm -hmm. Final thoughts? I really don't like Rotten Tomatoes. As I think Rotten Tomatoes is kind of like, remember Ticketmaster? And, like, before Ticketmaster, you had to, like, line up at the grocery store to get tickets to the concert and now oh, yeah. Ticketmaster like has you know like concerts sell out in one minute because corporations just buy up all the tickets yeah 
I feel like that's Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I feel like before movies come out, studios just have, like, just buy critical reviews and whatnot. And if they don't have that power, then, you know, you get, like, Marvel movies getting 100% and you have less financed one getting, like, down in the dumps. So the fact that, like, the one, the audience score is, like, 40% higher than the tomato meter of reviewers... I think shows you that it is a much better movie than the critics gave it credit for. I mean, I think that's fair. And I think most of the movies on second chance cinema fall into that category where it's like they got dumped on by the critics. The critical reviews survive in that category of, of reviews. But then as the movies get rediscovered, they get, you know, the the occasional boost on Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb or whatever. This definitely wasn't a 13% movie, right? We wouldn't talk about, at 13 like i'm hard pressed to think of like what i would put at 13 percent. possibly the garbage pale kids movie 13 percent um definitely not street fighter if only for the strength of raul julia's performance um correct a 13 percent movie man um oh i know ghostbusters 2016 that's what i would put at 13 percent. i love it um so yeah, so I think like a majority of the time, what we talk about is C movies, right? And we upgrade uh-huh. them to B. Like we're saying uh-huh. like, definitely not a C, definitely not a D. It's a B, it's a B movie. It's nothing to write dissertations about, but in the same instance, it's absolutely something you want to grab a bucket of popcorn and sit down and enjoy and get get away from your life for 87 minutes. And I think yeah. the one is a perfect example of that. Way to put it. I love it. Way to put it. So with that, we'll bid you farewell from this, the one episode, the first episode of season three of Second Chance Cinema. We've got some other interesting choices coming forward that I'm not going to spoil, but we will have, of course, some revisits from our good friends, Jeremy, Rudy, Lee, and we will try to keep coming with the um, the dominance of Eula atop the Mesopotamian ruins <laughs> as he fights the rest of the the prison inmates um, to the sounds of early aughts new metal. That's the vibe we're going to try to bring this season, I think. Sounds good. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Remember to follow us, like us, hate us, whatever. Interact with us. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you don't think. I don't know. Just don't kill us in the multiverse. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Second Chance Cinema. I am MC. I'm Spro. And we will see you again. No, we won't. We never see you. We'll talk to you again soon. We'll talk at you again soon on Second Chance Cinema. Peace. Cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. Suffocation. No breathing. Don't give a fuck if I cut my arm. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you could reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You could find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible and isn't that really the whole point now go on and have a beautiful day you wonderful person you and if it's not a beautiful day outside stay in and rediscover a gem from the past Cause I'm